Well, hi, everyone. This is our first episode, and we are honored and privileged to be joined by the wonderful Anna Reitor, <laughs> author of Krivda, or should I say Krivda, The God Trick yes. Against the Matrix, and Brody Blue, A Handbook of Ruthless Gentleness for the Natural Human Mystic. Anna Reitor is a traditional culture anthropologist, a linguist, a regenerative farmer, a contemplative meditator, and of course, the natural human mystic, OG. Here she is, Anna Reitort. Hi, Anna. How are you? It's so nice to see you. Hi. Hi. Very, very, very happy to be with you again, Pat. Oh, this is great. So I guess we'll start off with um, one of the main themes of your of your book, Krivda, which is uh, words and word spell, which we see a lot of in our world today. We especially, I mean... We talk about that uh, in regards to religion, uh, science, politics, media, education. I mean, the word spell and the, you know, propaganda and narratives and all that. It's it's all over the place. And um, so if you could maybe dive into that a little bit, the, um, the whole word word spell thing that you talk about in your book. Well, you know, the very first bit of word spell you have actually, you know, just introduced it in mentioning the subtitle of the Krivda book, the word spell in the word matrix. Everybody uses that word according to the meaning of a particular movie, um, whereas actually matrix is the old Latin word that means, you know, the natural womb. And um, and Spanish still has it. I mean, the matriz in Spanish mm -hmm. still means the natural womb. And, you know, sometimes you might, you know, find a gynecologist who still says, not matrix in English, but in, in the, you know, in the Romance languages or the Roman languages, it still is, it still is what it is. But, you know, now that the whole of the English-speaking world uses Matrix in the meaning of that movie, and that movie is all about a certain dystopia. That is a masterful piece of word spell that makes the actual natural womb somehow responsible for the dystopia. So yeah, that's I mean that's that's the biggest, hugest piece of word spell. Um, but and I we, mean, you know, there are countless other examples. Of... Yeah, and after 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 reading reading your book, I it it made me forced me to start to look at words differently and at the at the etymology of words and 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 so on and and um, the fact that you coined it the God tricks rather than the matrix is, is very apt. And it, can you explain how you, how you got to that point? Well, I, you know, like any book, I think, you know, any author is going to agonize over the title and subtitle because it has to convey. And at the same time, it has to attract. And at the same time, you know, it has to be tra both transparent and mysterious and, oh. So, you know, I played around with lots and lots of subtitles. But it was actually once once I was pretty far into the writing that Matrix, 
and the gods are doing all these weird things to us? Well, of course, it's the god tricks. So, you know, the god tricks as it is written, T-R-I-X, is then derived from the matrix. So this is my counter word spell. Since they've messed around with the matrix, well, I'm going to mess around with the gods. And of course, you know, people pick up the books, the book thinking that, you know, it's the gods um, uh, overcoming the matrix, the dystopia. But no, it's actually, you know, hopefully the natural matrix, which is also the natural matrix of nature and our planet and actual real reality life that is overcoming the god tricks, which are basically all based on simulation and deceit. So there's a fundamental truth in the reality of life, nature, earth, and humans who are connected to that reality in a real way that is capable of defeating all the layers of deceit and uh, and horror and uh, victimization and you know everything that the gods, you know, as they as they sort of come onto the stage in the book gradually, uh, that they have inflicted on all of life, not just on us, but you know, on all of life, the animal realms, the you know, the forests, the uh, the skies, the waters, the soils, everything. And how did we get to this point? Like, how did we, you know, where it started? with the words and the word spell, you know, and then you forming religion and, and thought and mind control. And I mean, how did we, how did we get to this point where, you know, where it, it's, it started out as communication and ending, ending, ending up being, being these systems of, you know, of, of control, you know, how did it, how did it all go so wrong? I should say, <laughs> Well, I mean, you you know, it's, I'm not going to summarize the book because it's really hard to summarize. Basically, in terms of, no, on the topic of language, most people know it, especially in the Anglophone world, um, use language mindlessly without attention to what the words really mean. Because, you know, in in the modern era and accelerating in the 20th century and now, I mean, it's hitting the roof, the the overabundance of discourse that we are flooded in uh, from everywhere and the particular ways in which we have been fear programmed and how this has impacted the functioning of our minds means that basically we are not so much using language as language is using us. The language, the distorted word spell language, the sound bite language, the the cliched language, it it runs the show of our own minds. You know, in the old days, and I'm a representative of the old days, I got a classical education with Latin and Greek, which 
Of course, I don't remember the Latin and Greek, but I have a fondness for etymology. Mm. And you know, when I feel uncomfortable about it, you know, I have a kind of instinct that hmm, that one smells fishy, and I'll go and check the etymology, or I, you know, remember the etymology from from you know studies way back in my in my early years. So, plus, if you have more languages than one you have that other vantage point of noticing that a particular language uh, word in english cannot be translated exactly in another language and vice versa so you've got gaps between languages and that kind of sensitivity makes you aware of the need to exercise caution in the use of words mm-hmm. So that's in terms of what meanings are carried by words. Um, And then, you know, what really fascinates me, really interests me is somehow feeling into how language originated. And my sense is and this has become clearer with with the the cultivation of the non practices that you have in the other book in the broody blue book i've understood for instance that a mantra has to be very personal any mantra that is protective or empowering or whatever it has to be very personal it has to well up from one's subconscious as something that your subconscious knows to carry a vibration that is important and potent for you. Mm -hmm. Now, the whole business of mantra, I mean, you know, the word mantra now is is used um, to denote a a corporate slogan or, you know, build back better. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Build back better. That's the mantra of, but that's not a mantra. No, That's but a distortion exactly. of, of the meaning of mantra. Mantra, but in a way, it's not. A, it's only a distortion. It's not a complete lie because a mantra is a word or a few words that carry mystical power, that carry esoteric power. The vibrations and the intentions embedded in them, you know, when they say build back better, that for them is really a powerful mantra. But it is not a mantra in the true spiritual sense, in the true esoteric sense of activating certain vibrational forces inside yourself. It's like they've taken, they've taken, you know, we used to have such beautiful sacred language that now it just seems to be just being twisted into ways and like, like you say, these unnatural mantras of, 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 um, corporations or or politics or 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 whatever replacing you know and that goes to like what you had talked about in your book about uh, about the um religion usurping the old wisdom traditions bringing 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 those old wisdom traditions into this creation of theirs with the gods and everything else to form this hierarchical system of control seems to all 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 tie in together and it and that's what was fascinating to me about the connection between uh language and religion and and um you know and systems of of power 
So it was uh, because yeah, you look at I mean religions they're dependent on a particular kind of scripture, which is a particular kind of discourse, and you know those scriptures mostly are the ownership of the priests who train. They are trained in their seminaries and places like that to pronounce these scriptures, you know, the particular holy prayers or what have you. They pronounce them in a certain way. They are the depositaries and the custodians of a particular religious phraseology, intention, and, and, uh, and, um, and intonation also. Uh, you know, it's interesting how in Sanskrit, the old sort of Vedic texts, mm -hmm. they they are owned basically by the Brahminical families. And the traditional training for a Brahmin's child was to learn by heart the you know the Vedic poems, both the text and the kind of sort of sing-song. Um, way of 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 uh, of of performing them. Once they had learned them by heart, you know, going in the in in the normal flow of the language, they would have to learn them going in the other direction of the language, like um, I say, they would have to learn. Yasai. Okay, that's and that's just that's just two tiny words. They would have to learn the whole thing backward, and this would take at least seven years. And it's only after they had mastered that orally, and orally mouth and orally ear, that then they were allowed to move on to the actual writing. Hmm. So this is just you know, their religious system is different you know from the monotheistic ones so you know it's i'm only mentioning them in terms of the the intrinsic sort of vibrational power in what is considered to be a sort of holy language mm -hmm. um i had i had heard you talk before about um um, the people you had had lived with in India about how they communicated with song and that they would have dis like they would have like dialogue with song or debate with song. Oh yes, is that correct? Yeah, but, that that but, I found sure. that fascinating. But this was their songs were very multi-layered in terms mm. of of the meanings involved. So they, they use, you know, like any esoteric tradition, they have their own esoteric terminology which is built into these songs, which can be heard and enjoyed by, you know, the common folk who are not initiated, but then in initiates gatherings, a song would be proffered as a question and somebody else would pick up the tune and improvise further text as an esoteric answer to that first question. That's it sounds um, like so much fun. It was great fun and it was yeah. it was an exercise that it, that involved the whole human. It wasn't only yeah. intellectual and it wasn't only physical. 
like you know an opera singer basically it wasn't you know it it was really a harnessing of okay i mean the whole physicality of the person was involved of course in producing the the the, the tonalities of the of the musical side but the musical side was basically the vector that would carry the message that involved the emotions, the esoteric knowledge that the person had uh, acquired or attained and embodied. This was really an important part of it. You know, you, you could not just mouth out esoteric principles. It would fall flat. Mm. It had to be carried in the embodied, you know, intellectual emotion that went with it. It was, it was very, very intellectual at the same time. You know, these people were mainly illiterates, but they were there was a very deep intelligence of the illiterate person embedded in this stuff. So you know that was that was very, very striking. But um, yeah, that was just specifically their modality, and you know, a lot of the transmission of what what we call classical Indian music, which is just non-pop, I mean, the traditional music of India, um, the forms of learning music were, and still are, completely oral. You don't, you know, you don't learn music from written notes. It's, you know, there's the, there's the teacher and the teacher sings a couple of lines and, mm. and you repeat. And this will continue being repeated until the teacher is satisfied that you've taken it in. So, uh, yeah, another aspect of our loss of truth in language is the fact that we, we've lost the illiterate side of it. We've mm. lost the, um, the whole complex cognition that was, that was, um, you know, vectored, carried by by the fact of not having literacy. Where you know, and the the, the oral traditions were not divorced from the environments in which people lived. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, there's the resonance of language also that is going to resonate with whether you're living in a mountain, in a valley, in a forest, on you know, on a plain. It's going to produce different vibrational effects in the way people use their language. I mean, there are so many different aspects to language that we lose when we are completely programmed by the written word. And it's the written word that, that affects the way uh, people speak. You know, even people who don't speak very well, they have been to school and you know, the very large majority of those who've been to school, but it didn't really work for them. Mm -hmm. They haven't been able to master the language sufficiently deeply intellectually to have a capacity to reflect upon it. And at the same time, they are no longer in the world of illiteracy where everything is connected with everything. And the way you use language in an illiterate society is 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 connected with the other people with the animals with the trees with everything in a completely different way that we cannot i mean we can't even imagine it you know in our developed um educated societies 
okay, you add upon that the fact that education has been completely dumbed down and is mm -hmm. not designed to help us, um, you know, dig deep into the fabric of, of reality yeah. that we're trying to, you know, to read about or to describe or to learn or to study. So, yeah, there's, you know, many, many levels of, of what happens in terms of language. And... Um, it's so yeah it's so it's just so fascinating you know to 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 see that like there seems to be more improvisation you know more more natural flow to the yeah. language it kind of reminds me even 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 if you talk about uh you know in the in 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 western society you know it seems that the higher up you go in western society the more wooden and and just contrived and constructed the dialogue between people seems to be whereas like you know in in the lower classes you know in in that's why i love comedy so much is because you know like you it's it's part it's kind of like that 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 dialogue of the people you know where where people are mm -hmm. just you know like letting ideas flow and letting thoughts flow and things just just naturally flowing back and forth or whatever but but then you you know like like i say you know the the higher up you go uh, up the social ladder, when you once you see people, you know, at a cocktail party speaking together, the the conversations just don't seem genuine anymore. They just seem well. They're much know, more dead. Just, I mean, you know, the people down like, at the you know, at the it, bottom of the social ladder are much more alive than the people at the top. Yeah, that's that that's something I've noticed as 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 well. It's just especially. When it comes to language and, and and dialogue and getting ideas across, you know everything. Yeah, but this is true seems... nowadays, Patrick. This is true nowadays. You know, a hundred years ago, elite people up at the top had a bloody good education, mm -hmm. very very good education. Now they, you yeah. know, what they what they, uh, you know, how they use that education in terms of you know whatever their roles were at the top of society is another matter, but. They, uh, you know, it was important for them to be multilingual. It was important for them, you know, in the West to have studied Latin and Greek um, and to have, you know, studied the, the Roman poets and the Greek philosophers in the original. Yeah. All these things, you know, uh, they had highly developed minds. Now, whether those highly developed minds were combined with a properly human, you know, functioning heart is another matter. But, uh, you know, nowadays, you know, those who are called the elites are, you know, overall pretty mediocre. Yeah, it's it's, it's very interesting, the, you know, how how language and all that is, is used. I found that very, very fascinating in your book, as, as well as, as when you talk about... Um, how we've gone, you know, from the uh, gods of religion to the gods of um, money and technology and war. That's another uh, very interesting thing that you talk about in your book. I was wondering maybe if you could speak a little bit about that. I mean, we, as we see now, I mean, it seems that, uh, you know, the gods of war and, 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 and money are definitely at the top of their game right now. Yeah, but they're under the uh, they're under the leadership of the god of of technology, mm -hmm. because without the you know without the technology, um, I mean it's the technology that brings them all together. Basically, they're all serving that god. But um, 
Well, you know, if you just, it, it's really striking how many, many, many observers and commentators now use religious terminology. You know, they yes, talk that's, about that's the noticing, God of yeah. vaccines and the high priests of um, of drones. And, you know, I mean, they use all that, all that terminology and they denounce the dogmatic doctrinarian um, pronouncements of, um, of, of med so-called medicine, you know, it's, it's in their vocabulary, but, and they're using these words very correctly in an instinctive way, because it bloody well feels as if it's operating like a dogmatic religion, but very few, still very few. It's more and more of them are, are now beginning to feel that, well, it it works like a religion, and actually, it it is a religion. It's a cult. Okay, so uh, I think more and more people are aware of that. What they're not aware of is that the the preparation for this for these secular religions, you know, which is on the face of it a paradox, but actually it's not because. The, the whole thing was prepared by religious religions where we worshipped, you know, spiritual entities or, I mean, you know, what we used to legit, legitimately call mm -hmm. gods. Although, you know, what kind of gods they were is a whole other um, can of worms. But... Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was interesting to hear how you... How you describe how it's you know how um the religions and the forming of the religions being used as a you know as a as basically a template for systems of power and control right up right up until present day that's it's you know it's yeah it's completely continuous i mean the structure if you know studying the way you know looking at the christian religion which has, you know, it has had the greatest impact on all of us around the world, basically. Um, you know, without without prejudice, of course, to the to the Islamic world, but basically, you know, in terms of numbers and in terms of depth of influence on the development of Western civilization that has colonized the whole world, uh, it is the Christian religion that is the biggest, you know, agent in all of this. So basically, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, I, I studied the structure of it mm -hmm. with, you know, the priesthood, the doctrines, the scriptures, the rituals, the places of power, the networks of power, the sort of territorial um, grasp of of whole countries the collusion with so-called secular powers and the methods, the fundamental methods of fear, of plenty of torture, plenty of atrocities, the inquisitions and things like that, um, prohibition of, um, of, of different thoughts, different ways of understanding the world, uh, huge amounts of killings. You look at the structure to est establish a certain deceit in people's minds that makes them dependent on that religious structure for their own salvation. The major thing is that these religions established the inner divorce of the human being, separating the soul from the body, basically, so that the 
invisible, intangible part of us, which is what we are supposed to strive uh, for the salvation of, but it will actually be saved by somebody else. Mm -hmm. The poor fellow who's nailed to the cross and whose sacrifice we have to keep celebrating all the time um, from our incarnation, which is an emanation of that soul. So that inner divorce in us is the thing that they absolutely need because it's in that place, in that hollow between the soul and the body, between the subtle me and the physical me. It's in that hollow that they can install their mediation. And it's through that mediation that they can keep me in fear, keep me in complete disempowerment, and uh, keep me, of course, you know, providing my labor, my love, my worship, my tears, my suffering, and their wealth. So, you know, it was a pretty neat system that they put together. And it's that system of dissociation of humans from mm -hmm. themselves that could then continue very comfortably under the aegis of the god of money. When the Industrial Revolution came, um, you know, money started to run everything. Without money, there literally was no life. If you couldn't buy your next piece of bread, you were going to die. So money became literally the god that ruled life. And, yeah. you know, there on the heels of that science, which amplified what had already been started earlier during, you know, starting in the Renaissance with the, the growth of the dominance in humans of the mind at the expense of the body and, and the heart, you know, to put it in, in simplistic terms. You know, we've become a mind-heavy culture. Yeah. Yes, and 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 to, I just wanted to take a little quote from your book here regarding that, where you say, you know, the impact—it's the impact of a Christ bearing the burdens of all, in order that none should seek the human Christ principle in themselves. Mm -hmm. Right, so that we would need to go to a mediator to to you know that there's these people that stand between us and God rather than rather than realizing that we all have the Christ principle within ourselves, the Christ consciousness. And it's just a matter of letting that Christ consciousness rise within us. And, you know, which is basically to me, from what I see is that what all the indigenous wisdom traditions were about was just basically. There Being is a, fully there, human. Yes, there is a higher power, but, but at the same time, there is part of that higher power is within you and you can let that, rise within yourself as a human being you don't need um intermediators you don't need you know these people in in between or whatever maybe maybe teachers but not these not these people that hold the key like like they have in the you know established orthodox religions i mean another great quote i wanted to for centuries christians wearing around their necks the priest's most powerful symbol of human victimization through the delegitimization of a human Jesus. That would devoutly confirm that the spell of guilt and of redemption by a perpetual scapegoat. And that's was that was very powerful because I've always felt that about about Jesus. Even as a child, when I would look up at, at, at him at, on the cross in the church, I would think, why are they, you know, why why are they celebrating the fact that he was crucified? I mean, he was 
You know, it's kind of like you think to yourself, I mean, this is this is a man who rebelled against the system and they're putting him up there like like an example saying, like, see, like this is what's going to happen if you if you, you know, if you go against authority or whatever. I mean, that's that's the way I saw it as a as as a child, you know. Yeah, sure. Until later, I was taught the you know, the whole the whole narrative behind or whatever, like you say, the. you know, the, the sacrificial part and all that, but I mean, it's... Well, the sacrificial part is the biggest part of it because, yeah. you know, his sacrifice that, you know, Catholics or basically Christians are supposed to reenact every, well, you know, whenever they they go to Mass, um, it's our collective partaking, you know, basically of, of the sacrifice that was perpetrated on him, Mm-hmm. as the scapegoat for, you know, all the reputed sins that are ours, including the original sin that uh, is a pure invention. So, uh, you know, and then we perpetuate, we re-celebrate that sacrifice, which makes us complicit in, well, it does look like a form of cannibalism, basically, because you know we are told that this piece of bread and yeah, this, you know, a cup and of wine of is, you know, his. And you know, then they're going to tell you you don't understand the mystery of trans. Well, thank you very much. If transubstantiation mm. is that, you know, this piece of bread is a piece of his flesh. I'm sorry, <laughs> that to me, you know, I'm I'm perhaps being very obtusely rationalistic here, but it looks pretty much like cannibalism, and at the same time. It's, it's the sacrifice of a man that turned him into what they made into a god. They deified him as a way of defusing the import of what he did as a man, rebelling against, you know, the, yeah. the high priests and, and the priests of money who were operating in the temple. He understood very clearly the collusion between the religious religion and the money religion. So, you know, it makes us not only co-perpetrators of the sacrifice, because we need him to redeem our sins, but it also imprints in us the need for sacrifice and consequently the fact that sooner or later in our lives, we too shall be sacrificed. Okay, and we're being regularly sacrificed, you know, when we work in a job that we hate just because we need the money. We're being sacrificed to the money god, to the god of whatever, you know, production, uh, to the god of capitalism, you know, overall. And, um, you know, that all feeds into the wealth of, uh, of the money god, because the money god needs a hell of a lot of money to do the, you know, to wage all the wars. So it's the whole extremely sophisticated sacrificial construct. And we are maintained in it in fear because we're afraid of, you know, whatever shit is going to happen to us, be it on the money front or on the religious exactly, front or yeah. on the whatever front, you know, if we're not f- fearful on one front, they'll find another one. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, it, one major aspect of actually awakening is to awaken to the fact that we've been victim, victimized as sacrificial cattle, yeah, basically. It's, it's, it's a hard pill it re- for most people to swallow, I think. Well, as long as it's not swallowed, they cannot claim to be truly awakened. 
you know, I don't mean to be nasty, but, uh, you know, we have to go through the, you know, if you want to be a true, you got to go through those go, dark places. And once you've been through them, you start to feel who you really are. Yeah. That's the prize. Yes, you know, definitely. it's not just, you know, whereas when you're being perpetually sacrificed, but you have a modicum of comfort somehow, yeah. you can still go to, you can still have some convenience. You're still a consumer. You still got, and you may have still the illusion that you've got human rights. Okay. So that, you know, that placates you, that placates your, your rebellious soul. Um, or it placates yeah, your the, mind. The comforts, that, you, know. you know, as long as long as you have the security and the comfort, right? And that's what they try to do, especially you know the people people in the West. You know, where where we we were living more comfortable than we've ever lived. You know, since since humans existed. But I mean, at the same time, we're we're, we're trapped. We're like in a in a prison of our own making. You know, it's um, and it's hard to describe to people sometimes. You know. With, just the concept of, of manufactured poverty. You explain by, you know, some somebody who's 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 lived in grassroots indigenous cultures in, in Southeast Asia and some of the, you know, poorest, you know, well, money poorest parts of, of, of the world, you you have a very keen understanding of, of how globally poverty is manufactured in order to keep this hierarchical system in in place at, at their expense and um well I, yeah the living among poor people basically for 25 years now um i've come to realize to some extent to what to you know how how people of the west were trapped because basically you know, the people in the global south, the concept of poverty was definitely not the same as what we understand as poverty in the developed West. You know, for us in the developed West, it, you know, you're poor if you don't have enough money. You know, that's, and just, you know, if you give money to the poor or if you teach them how to earn a living, you're going to take them out of poverty. But, Poverty is way more complex than that. When, as long as people in the global south are left to live in their local ecosystems where they can feed themselves and they occasionally make a surplus that they can either sell or they can use in some ceremony or or uh, and you know and generally they also have skills for making their own tools for building their own houses they are extremely self sufficient when they have all that you know at the scale of a village when everybody has more or less the same skills you're going to get you know you may inv invite somebody who is more skilled at building a roof to come and help help you build the, the roof of your house there's going to be a much more lots more teamwork where people's specific higher expertise will be put you know to the benefit of others but basically all the basic skills are shared by everybody and as long as everybody has just enough land it doesn't take a hell of a lot and they know the skills of how to take good care of the land 
and there's a relative degree of egalitarianism within the village, those people do not perceive themselves as poor. However, once the consumer society reaches their villages, and usually it comes in, first of all, with the TV, even before they have electricity. I've seen many a mud hut in India where, you know, the, 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 the main part of the house where people sit together for a chat or for a cup of tea together, that room now has a TV set mm -hmm. on the most beautiful table they could find bang in the middle of the room. It's covered with a beautiful piece, the most beautiful piece of cloth they have, waiting for the day when electricity is going to come to the house. And then once the electricity comes to the house, you've got no more, you know, gatherings in those homes. I mean, everybody is going to gather in the house or the houses that are richer than the others managed to get hold of a TV set. And the TV is going to completely replace a large part of, you know, the leisure part of social life. The other social life where people work together in the fields, that continues. But the TV is, it's going to invade the TV because it is a magic thing for those people. It's magic. You know, you've got these images these people who are talking in this in this box, it's completely magic. It is going to invade the natural, cultural sense of magic that people had. Mm -hmm. And it completely displaces it. So, you know, along with TV, they're going to get the adverts. Look at my beautiful, you know, wonderful silky hair. If you want hair yeah. like mine, <laughs> buy this little thingy. And so, of course, the women want to have it. And so... You know, I I was the witness of the increasing estrangement um, between men and women because the guys couldn't understand the women's infatuation with all this stuff. But the women were also being disempowered by the fact that in parallel with the TV, there was also um, the Green Revolution, so-called Green Revolution, the introduction for free of um, chemical agri, you know, uh, products and proved seeds, which were given for free the first couple of years. And the guys had harvests like they had never seen before. After that, you know, the following years, of course, those chemicals, which they would use indiscriminately, they wouldn't, you know, they couldn't read the labels. The labels were written so very small. I had to have a magnifying glass to read them. So obviously those guys, most of whom were illiterate, could not read the, you know, the instructions and all the precautions. So the number of people who got severely sick and died just because of those chemicals is huge and unreported. And beyond that, after two, three, four, five years, they have gone into debt because they've had to continue purchasing these things into which they'd been indoctrinated. They'd seen the magic of the first two years and they thought the magic was going to continue forever with these magical bottles of poison. And so um, they lost the fertility of their soil. They lost their health. They lost whatever natural or monetary wealth they may have had. And that was it, poverty. Poverty through the destruction of their soils 
and the destruction of their own physical health, not to mention the mental health and the emotional health, and the destruction of what used to be mutually complementary powers of women and men within the household. So, you know, there are huge, huge different aspects that are part of the poverty phenomenon. And in retrospect, I can read that back into what happened in the West when the needs of industrialization required a hell of a lot of peasants to be kicked out of the, out of the countryside to thus be deprived of their land and their connection with the nature and mm -hmm. with nature and the culture that went with it, with their traditions and, you know, their health and their little sort of vegetable patches and their medicinal plant patches and what have you. <clears throat> and then they become not slaves because they're paid a wage. But for the sake of a pittance, which would barely, you know, buy them enough stuff to keep themselves and their families reasonably fed, um, and which kept them uh, enslaved to making their purchases from the shop that belonged to the factory to which they were attached. So, you know, they went through a similar version of losing their relationship with nature with their own, you know, traditional livelihoods that had kept them, kept their, you know, their their ancestors going for centuries and millennia. So that's, you know, that's the root of true poverty, all of that. And the sense of transcendence, the sense of, you know, their connection, the way they could read clouds, the way they could read the movement of ants, the way they could, you know, get all the signals that nature gives you. The, yeah. the visible signals, but also their subtle sense for the invisible signals that they could feel, you know, that, you know, is a part of the natural sense of transcendence of humans. And that was taken away from them and thus from all of us. And the more people have gone to the cities for economic opportunity, because under the money god, you have to make money if you're going to get anywhere in life or even if you're going to survive. So, uh, yeah, this constant rat race has, has completely taken us out of who we are, or who we were as, as, as human beings, you know, as, as a full human. And, and it's, I think a big part of healing is to try to integrate that humanity back <laughs> into us. And I mean, they talk about, reconciliation a lot in this country you know reconciliation with with the indigenous people well maybe a good place to start would be to reincorporate those you know ancient wisdom traditions of the indigenous people of all places on earth and integrate that more into our lives you know to, to become fully human again because that's you know that connection with nature and that you know and all that's all that subtle energy that you talk about you know we need to bring that back you know that's and and that that's why your both your books were just so so amazing and just um brody blue you know it, it just explaining how to maybe reintegrate ourselves back as as you know as, as fully humans i mean it's in conjunction with this planet because yes exactly, you know it works yeah. both ways it's, yeah, because yeah. I mean, it seems like, I mean, are, are we too far gone? I mean, it seems like we're at the point where we're so immersed in this, in this new technology, you know, that just keeps advancing and advancing and, you know, at, 
at such an incredible rate. And I mean, a lot of things are, are, are great for us. And, but I mean, overall, like the, uh, the picture is starting to look pretty bleak and it, we're starting to see how, you know, it's, it's, you know, these, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's difficult, especially like for, for, for people in the city, you still have to, you know, work and live amongst all this materialism and, and just, you know, just this whole, uh, dystopian, nonsense and then and then on top of that you know like we we get through the internet and television you know we get fed all this propaganda and whatnot i mean we're you know it's like we're being assaulted on all fronts you know like we're being uh we're being you know uh, we're 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 struggling financially we're struggling mentally we're struggling you know with with everything and i mean it's and and you know we're and we're being run by a bunch of psychopaths and and I feel like yeah, but like, if we don't, uh, you know, Pat, like if we don't like it, if we don't like it, it's up to us it is, to make yes. a decision. You know, Absolutely. no longer, or to you know, take away. Of course, we can't overnight, you know, do without our source of income, because the world is still run in that money system, but it's all being collapsed. Everything is being collapsed. That's you know, the they're doing a lot. They are they the they's. You know, as I like to say. Um, they're doing a lot of the dirty work for us. They're collapsing, you know, the whole thing anyway. But of course, their motivation is to kidnap the whole of nature, the whole of everything that is that has that uh, is an organic life form. They want to control of all of that because they cannot create life, and so they want to create a simulation of life. Um, if we want the real thing, well, we have to go for it. I mean, it helps to understand how we have gotten to where we are now. Exactly. But once you understand yeah. that, you have to make a choice. That's so just, the choice yeah. is going to be partial. You know, okay, perhaps I'm going to start growing more of my, of my food. Even if I only have a balcony, I'm going to do it on my balcony. And you can grow a hell of a lot of of food vertically on a balcony um, that you know there are all sorts of things and the more one does these things the more one realizes that well actually i'm not so dependent on the system as i thought more and more people want to exit the big cities and they want to go and live in the countryside i mean that is you know it's a it's that's a huge movement you know going back to nature a lot of people from the cities don't realize that it is not easy. Going back to nature means relearning all sorts of skills that we've lost and rehoning senses that have gone dormant. So, uh, you know, it's it's not easy, but we have to get over the convenience mentality whereby, oh yes, just, you know, at the click of a finger and the click of a mouse, I can get this, that, and the other. Yeah. No, you know, Mother Nature, Mother, I mean, she teaches the real way, the reality way. So I think a lot of people who, yeah, and a lot of people who live in the big cities have become afraid of nature. You know, oh, there are going to be yeah. ticks, there are going to be mosquitoes, snakes, you know, things that well, bite, things that are going to kill me, you know. Afraid of everything. It's, you know, it, I mean, the, and, you know, you, you talk about that in your book, like just the, um, afraid of you know, the it's, sun it's yeah it's manufactured fear i mean you know it, it's it's all it's all just to keep us 
subdued and controlled and and i mean it's just uh it's unreal yeah but once you understand pat once you understand how it works and it's not difficult to understand how it works then you can start chipping away at you know little Certainly, by little yes. within yeah. you know trying to trying to you know, get liberated from it completely uh well the only way is to decide that you're going to be some kind of hermit in a himalayan cave you know I'd and be that, fine with that is <laughs> Okay, good luck. Yeah, probably I'd probably be I'd probably die within a week, but you know. It's I'd enjoy I'd enjoy that week the of, most, of peace and quiet. That it would not be peace and quiet, my dear. You know, within <laughs> a couple of hours you would start tormenting yourself. You know, yeah, and probably. that's that's the other aspect of all the demons that that have been seeded in us yeah. and that we have been feeding. That's where, you know, working with the mind or working around the mind to to deprogram the fear that it keeps, you know, working on that. That's you know a major part of the fuel that that keeps the the ego mind working. But it's it's not as I try to explain, you know, in the Broody Blue Book. It is not all that difficult. Because our human nature is still alive inside us. It's only yeah. gone dormant. So if we can start, you know, the, the, the po point about the Broody Blue Book is that there are very simple ways to get in touch with something that is truly authentic in us and that is in touch with the subtle reality of who we are and of the world around us, providing one will let go of the habitual comfort of relying on our ego mind to run the show. Exactly. And that is, see, that is the hardest thing for most people because, you know, the whole, the whole system has trapped us in our minds. Most people, you know, there's a head which is floating around, more or less attached to a body, but, you know, people are massively afraid of their body or they need to cosmetify it like crazy or to mm -hmm. modify it or to, yeah. you know, to, to, uh, to build muscle. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's this profound antagonism between the mind and, and the body. And, you know, you've got all your subconscious. The subconscious holds both the direct memory of who we really are and all the crap that has been accumulated. So, you know, the crap, of course, speaks directly to our mind that is going to make us do our things that will help the mind feel safe so that it feels that we are safe. But um, that is all to do with, you know, a civilization that has thoroughly detached people's whole self from from the mind in the head and so it's uh i mean it's it's horrendous you know when you look at all the stuff that's been done to us and that is all intensifying like crazy right now it's just so mind-boggling but once yeah, you realize so that and that once you own the fact that you've been had that you've been used, <laughs> that you've been victimized, that you've been fucked over. 
Exactly. That you've been raped, that you've been sacrificed and everything. Own it. Because that's the that's the reality of it. Once you own it, and you know, perhaps you're gonna need to puke during a week, <laughs> or you're gonna need to be, I don't know, to, to yeah, go into had, a depression. I know myself but, I've had some pretty dark nights for sure. But that's the catharsis. It is. You know, yeah. that's the healing detox. And, and once I, you've gone through that detox, you can start you can start re-encountering yourself and and realizing, like, you know, we are extraordinary beings. We are yeah. cosmic beings who have taken an incarnation here. And this incarnation is not just a meat suit. It is the extension of our subtle selves that is equipped for us to be able to manifest the things that we are in our subtle reality. And in this sense, you know, we are absolutely in partnership with the extraordinary being that has incarnated as this planet. And the game that we are have, that we are supposed to play together is just, it's so extraordinary. Once you can start going into that path, there's no going back. They can no longer catch you again. That's the human path, the path that you yep. always talk about. And it's, I'll tell you, it's been, I'm someone who's, suffered from depression my whole life and you know always thinking that there's something wrong with me or whatever but you know i realize after doing a deep dive into into spirituality and and studying different things over the last three or four years and then you know coming across your books as well i mean it's just it's just been it's been it's been a journey for me and like you say the, the first step is to just realize that you know that we're that we were that we have been fucked over you know and and we need to we can't look to any type of authority or or, or government or leaders to you know to steer us in the right direction it's it's within ourselves it's within ourselves we have to get back to the human path as you say the what it is to to be fully human and two words that have helped me a lot in that is being breathed maybe <laughs> if you can talk about that a, a little bit because that's you know I find that you know I mean I was never very good at meditating but like I was I was drawn to that concept of Wu Wei where you know like the non-action kind of going with the flow like water and and then when i came across being breathed it kind of completed it because it 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 that too is is just kind of letting go and 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 i guess letting letting her letting letting mother nature as as part of me just um you know just anyways you should be the one explaining explaining that because I, like i like i said it's very um it's it's helped me a lot and um maybe if you could explain to people what what you mean by being breathed well it's not what i mean basically it's what the big lady downstairs you know yeah. <laughs> instructed she just yeah. be breathed okay <laughs> and it it was so you know when that came to me it was just so obviously obvious and at the same time came as a shock I just fell into being breathed and I realized, yeah, I am being breathed. I'm not breathing. I am being breathed. And, and it's naturally that 
certain particular details of this thing that I call a non-practice because you're not really practicing anything at all because you're not doing anything at all. The breathing is being done for you. And so the whole point is that one has to give one's complete presence to the fact of being breathed. And that's the thing that most people don't get. Most people will get the fact that, okay, I'm being breathed. And, you know, when they actually have this realization, not just mentally, but also physically, you know, there's, there's a kind of aha moment. But most people, you know, in a culture where spirituality is, well, you can jump from one spirituality to another, you know, from one week to the next. Yeah. They don't have the staying power. Um, the point is that one has to cultivate this attitude of being breathed with by giving it one's presence, just being with it, not just being, but being with it. And this makes a huge difference because, you know, a lot of spiritual people say, oh, yes, there's too much. We do too much. We keep we're doing, doing, doing. Let's just be. Well, no, then you go into pure sort of passivity. The point is to awaken the true self through the means that we have, you know, our body and our consciousness, whatever that thing is. I don't like the word because it's bandied about too much and, you know, different people put different meanings on it. But anyway... Awareness is a bit more neutral. So I call it awareness presence. In this attitude of being breathed, one's whole, let's say, attention, if you like, but not mental attention. It's literally the fact of being physically, physically present. And without, you know, when you're completely physically, emotionally, spiritually present to the fact of, yes, I am being breathed, actually you bypass the mind. It automatically bypasses the mind and it pacifies the mind. And I've discovered that, you know, it doesn't take very long, just with, you know, 15 minutes a day of this, within six minds, six months, I virtually never again had, you know, monkey mind thoughts going around in circles and preventing me from sleeping, you know. Um you start to make friends with your mind with this process. But then there's a very important aspect, which is it's not just to recognize that I am being breathed. It's that I instruct that which breathes me to breathe me. Mm. So those two words, those are the magic words. Being breathed is the introductory thing to realize that actually, yes, I am being breathed and I'm not, it's not me who's doing the breathing not the conscious me. So I'm being breathed by something. And um, that presence that you're going to give to that something is vectored by those two words, breathe me, that you pronounce internally for that which breathes you. In, And it's not pronounced out loud, the words are not thought up here, they are expressed 
from the subtle place in us that we do not know to be there at first. But we try to make those words as silent and as intimate from inside us. And we gift that command. It's a command. It's not an, a request. It's a command that we put out to that which breathes us. And when, when that, it, it, the particular style of saying breathe me is important because it's a matter of not speaking to it on human, ordinary incarnated human terms, but in the terms of the subtle world that it understands best. When, and I've, you know, I've tested this. I've said breathe me out loud, doesn't change anything. Okay, it's breathing me, fine. But there's nothing magic. Some saying it from within the heart, but with a sense of breathe me, of really feeling the words as words, nothing. When I put those two words as a thought form, just behind my back, then there's something that is activated in that which breathes me that starts to do its magic. So I'm starting then to have this cooperation between the incarnated me and the part of me that resides in the subtle, which is 90% of me. The much larger part of us is the subtle part, the intangible part. And the physical is, you know, less than 10%. It's 5% according to, you know, some people. So when you start feeling the subtle coming alive, which is your own subtle self, and the spirit that breathes you, that is also the spirit that breathes all of life, you can start exploring in ever-increasing dimensions. And then you can go out to the spirit of infinity. And then, sky limit. I mean, there's no, there's no, no limit in the sky. But it's that essential thing of that little command. And it's a command because you and I are the boss. It's not the spirit. The spirit has, has life and death powers over us. If the spirit quits, we die. But that's only life and death. In terms of the totality of who we are as full human beings, it is, it is I, the, the human being, who is the boss. When I give it that subtle command, lovingly and on its subtle terms, no longer as a human pair of words, but as a thought form where I express complete trust in it, it responds. It responds wow. by changing the breath mm -hmm. in the physical, you know, I mean, that's how you can immediately feel that something has quickened, something has happened. The, the feeling of the breath is going to change internally. And, you know, over time, the breath is going to become increasingly subtle. There's going to be less and less oxygen. There's going to be more nitric oxide. And there's going to be more of the etheric portion of the breath. And this nourishes the whole being at the subtle level and the physical level. So it also promotes good health. It helps, you know, with... All the, all the, the, the sort of, you know, 
emotional triggering that we're being subjected to. It helps with, of course, calming the mind. I mean, you know, it has all sorts of benefits for our immediate needs now, but it also puts you in touch with the much larger being that, that we all are. And then you really start to feel that, yes, I am a cosmic being who has expressed itself as this incarnation. And with this incarnation, my cosmic being has a job to do down here. And that is the great, you know, beautiful part of it. Yeah, I know I know that by using some of those practices and getting more in touch with my with my subtle, subtle body, as you say, the which is, you know, your just your your being as part of a larger being and in, in that being of earth and uh, the other humans and all that. It, it seems that once, once you, and once you start to really feel that within yourself, it, it changes everything. I mean, it changes how you look at the world and how you look at other people. It's, it's unbelievable. And you start to, but on the, on the dark side, you start to see like how, you know, how, 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 some people don't even seem human anymore. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm watching what's going yeah, on in the world and, and, and you see, problem. yeah, you that's see, problem. yeah, I know yeah. it's, that's their problem, but I mean, you see, you know, leaders in the world, you know, and uh, for example, uh, you know, when they ask for a, a, a ceasefire and you see the, 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 the U S veto, the ceasefire, and then you see the guy up there and he's like, you know, just another day at the office, you know, joking with his colleagues or whatever. And just, uh, you know, and, it just it just seems like there's such a like what kind of cognitive dissonance do you have to have what kind of like you know i mean to how psychotic do you have to be to just be acting that way in a situation They're where possessed. you could you could you could have you could have you could literally stop children from dying today if you wanted to but you choose not to and as you're doing so you're just chatting with your colleagues like like it's just another day you know i mean it's Pat, just they don't to have me, a choice it's, it's just Pat, unbelievable they, Pat, you know they don't have a choice like they you are, say they're they, it's like they're possessed, they're possessed. <laughs> they are possessed and all the guys who are developing these uh, ai things they're all possessed this is the techno mind god this is very real and this is really really mm -hmm. dangerous you know this is yeah. where the real human beings need to um, you know, return to, to who they are, you know, at least as much as we can coming from the great diminish, diminution, diminishment, um, you know, victimization and everything. You know, we are not the powerful beings that we used to be, heaven knows when. But but when when we can start to reintegrate into that greater sense of who we are and we, you know, you can see that, you know, then you can start making little miracles on a daily basis. And then you look at these people in positions of power and, um, well, you know, they're, they, they are possessed and there is, you know, the longer they've been possessed, the harder it is for them to even, you know, have have the the slightest sliver of a shard of light um, touch them. Or they're going to have just... some kind of major, you know, something major is going to have to happen to them that will crack their hearts open. But, you know, that's their problem. You know, they've, 
It's just disturbing. It's so unbelievably disturbing to watch people make excuses for, for what's going on and stuff. I mean, you know, just, just everyday people as well, you know, just supporting these psychopaths and, 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 and speaking as though this is just the normal course of events. I mean, well, they've been that's, indoctrinated, you know, that's how the religions have worked. Yeah, the religious exactly, religions yeah. and the secular religions, you know, and the whole, you know, mind programming machine has been working yep. beautifully. But what is extraordinary is that there are more and more of us humans who are, you know, breaking out of the mold. It's right. more or less difficult. It's more or less this, that and the other. But there's more and more. And, um, and uh, yeah, I mean. It's going to be very hard. We're we're in for some rough times for sure. The next five, ten years are going to be probably pretty, pretty intense. But like you say, I think I I think there there is a lot of us waking up, and you know, a lot of a lot of this stuff is just um, to open my eyes to see that you know that to look at things differently. We have been brainwashed for so long that. You know, there's just there's so much cognitive dissonance. It's just uh, it's un, it's unreal, and it's but it can unravel very quickly, as you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. it can unravel very quickly once, if you know, when people, some people who've you know researched these things or are sort of delved into the the depths of of the inferno deep enough. They come back with a treasure and they share this treasure with, you know, their fellow humans. They accelerate the transition for their fellow humans. And so, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who are not going to take the treasure, but there are some people who do take the treasure. And then they are going to produce their own form of of coming out of the trance. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely real. There, there are a whole bunch of human beings and there are going to be more who are coming out of the trance and who are, you know, um, trying to reintegrate themselves. And it's, it's with the acceleration of all the shit, the reintegration of the human is also being reaccelerated. We are mm-hmm. getting help. We're getting help. That's the other thing. The whole, you know, breathe me thing puts you in touch with the felt experience that we are being helped. There are loads of helpers out there. They're mm-hmm. all around us. Yeah. And, you know, the more we stay on that path and the more they're helping us because they cannot intervene directly on this earth realm. That's our job. But when it's, we start yeah. intervening on this earth realm in that way, there's more and more help coming our way. But we have to learn experientially to feel those helpers. And they're it's, right there in your, you know, your yeah, neighboring know. tree. Yeah. Your neighboring tree is one exactly. of your helpers. Yeah, I, I get, I get so, I feel so, I feel so much better after I've, after I've been out in, in nature and, and communing with nature, just, you know, bringing me back to my, just bringing me back to myself, you know, helps me, helps center me. And, um, but it's, it's very empowering to see, so many people out there that 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 are kind of getting the getting those those transmissions as you say you know it's you know i see all 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 the people in the in in, in um 
the spiritual community, uh, a lot of independent journalists and comedians, all kinds of people and culture that seem, you know, that seem to be, you know, it's almost like there's this, this second coming, you know, with the apocalypse, we're going to get the second coming, but instead of, instead of the Christ coming back as one man, it seems as though the Christ consciousness is going to just spread itself through millions of people. And hopefully that way, we can empower ourselves to change this world and defeat these dark forces that have taken over. That's my hope for, for that's my hope for the world anyways, that uh, more and more people start to get those downloads from, from our helpers. It's our duty. <laughs> it's, it's our duty, but I mean, you know, these are not necessarily downloads in the form of, uh, of uh, you know, instructions usually it's pretty cryptic or it's just a sensation or it's just you know not to be word. understood by the intellectual brain but by the but by the exactly subtle. yeah yeah which is which is they they talk about they talk about that a lot in in hinduism don't they i think there where there's like where they you know the intellect is like um is like a sharp knife you know it's good to keep your intellect sharp but if you don't have a, a steady hand or a steady identity you're going to cut yourself up with it where you know, whereas whereas if yeah. you have a where you have a, the intellect is only good as a tool, you know, as 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 a tool to help us navigate through this to this through this reality. But that who we are as human beings is so much more than than our than our intellect. It's I mean it's well it's and it's, and mean, it's getting you know, getting in touch with all getting back to our 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 subtle selves and getting back to our intuition and that and that in those wisdom traditions. I think is that's. That's what it's about. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, I mean, you know, the whole thing about you know the intellect is that there is there's the 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 brain based intellect, but then there's the the subtle intellect, which we've forgotten which, about. Which I mean, you know, it's all the whole thing is un. I mean, each one of us is a unified field in principle, where there is no separation between the mind in the head and the heart you know and in in many asian languages it's one word it's the mind heart or the heart mind there's no I've, you know i've started i've started using here. i've started using that word i've started using a lot of your vocabulary lately because i just find i just find it you know it i mean it just you hit the nail on the head with so many of the, of these terms i mean you know the 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 heart mind is is one of them i mean now I realize, you know, that that's that's where I need to be doing most of my thinking from is the, my heart mind, not not my intellectual mind, but my heart mind, which is like the the, the heart and, mind of the whole know, human. Yeah. This is, I mean, you know, there's one very practical thing that we can convey to you know to your listeners, which is, if you want to discern correctly, or if you want to make a proper decision, or whatever it is. You know, the thoughts, the fears that are going around up here in the hamster wheel, pronounce those words down in the chest. Think them in the chest. After all, the heart has 40,000 neurons. So, you know, the heart has its own thinking ability. But think all that in your chest. And you will see that what is a complicated conversation up here becomes much starker, much cut down to the essential. You no longer have all the peripheral sort of pollution. And you go to the core of what it is that you need to decide. 
And since you're doing that thinking, it, the, it's heart-mind thinking as opposed to mind thinking, the heart is also going to give you the, the response, the answer to whatever conundrum it w- was, you know, was there. So, um, you know, or fear, put the mm. fear down there and let the heart contemplate that fear. Contemplate that fear to the bitter end of that fear. And then all of a sudden you realize, I didn't need to be afraid of that. So, you know, the, it's, I mean, this is very practical. It's it practical human. Yeah. It's the practical human esoteric. And it reconnects yeah. the different parts of who we are, where the body is not separate from the heart and the mind, the mind is not separate, etc., etc. It's all one complete thing. So that, you know, once that is all, you know, once we get closer and closer to that sort of putting everything together, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, st- I'm forever a beginner in this respect. We're all beginners, but, yeah. But, but then right action tends to come naturally. Yeah. There's no great moral dilemma. You immediately know what is the right thing to do. So that your doing, your doing this becomes much more focused, more efficient, less wasteful, precisely by virtue of having spent some time a little bit every day cultivating the non-doing attitude. Yeah. It it because it opens you up to everything that is in 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 communication all over the place, I and agree. this thing yeah. up here is a it's a phenomenal receiver. It's not yeah. just a mentation thing, you know. The, it's the sensitivity to signals from all over the place, from way far away. Um, you know, each one of the hairs on our head, the uh, each pore in our skin is way more than what we think it is. So, you know, the physicality of who we are is not a minor partner in, mm. you know, the, uh, the, 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 the symphony of the different parts of who we are. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic when, you know, it's a fantastic path to become human after having been <laughs> so victimized for so many centuries and millennia it's fabulous, Patrick. It's just it fabulous. Is. I mean, I've just started on this journey myself. My mental health is just so far beyond what it was just a few years ago. I mean, it's incredible. Just, 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 just by contemplating that, you know, just contemplating that those subtle energies and, you know, the intuition and, and who I am as a, as a human outside of, of that, of that intellect, which, which for me, because my identity, which was my hand was not steady. I was, you know, cutting myself all over the place, you know, with that (laughs) intellect, the intellect should be used as a tool, but that's not who we are as, as human beings. And I, and I think that, you know, but it's a major part. It is a major part of who we are. We're the only animals who have this. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it is part of the whole thing. A guru I heard once said, you know, like, "Well, if you were if you were an earthworm without your intellect, you'd be very happy." <laughs> you know? Which is like to the point where you know, I mean, some sometimes you know, and 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 that's you know what we do here, you know, is we in in modern societies we you know we we dull the intellect with with drugs and and 
and food and and you know and, and sex and distractions or, or 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 whatever we we you know we try to like dull our intellect that way just to give ourselves some relief from it but you know in 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 reality, we just need to we just need to learn how to how to use it better and, and not to not to let it overtake us. And yep. yeah, just get back to get back to who we are. Just go out there in nature and be breathed. <laughs> yep. Correct. Well, it's not it's not difficult. It's not difficult as long as one allows it not to be difficult. Mm. Exactly. Well, that's that goes to the whole non-doing attitude, you know. It's, it's so not... it's so bloody non no, non yeah. not difficult, but I've realized that most people are not aware of the tricks that their own minds play on them. That to me is you know, and I'm seeing it all the time, and that really, you know, my heart bleeds for for everybody else. I mean, it's just. Well, a lot of a lot of times, Anna. Now, like, I don't even. I used to get so angry at the world and at humanity, you know, and when when I'd see what things were going on. But like now, I, it's almost like I, I've got to, you know, like through these practices, I've gotten to the point where I just feel, I just feel for 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 people like that who who, who can't who can't see themselves for as a as a whole human who just live it just live in that intellectual realm and and nowhere else. I mean, it just yeah, I mean it's. I mean, it, I think it, I'm, I'm thinking of 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 a comedian George Carlin who who said something like he said, uh, you know, he didn't like he didn't like groups of people. You know, he, he would he would he would always say like you know like you get an individual and you know like indi individual people are are beautiful and wonderful one on one. You can see the universe in their eyes, but you get them in a group even as small as five or 10 or even two or three, you know, and they sacrifice, you know, their individuality for their group and they, and they, and they lose who they, who they really are as humans. And, yeah. And but it, this is, I think this is a problem of, uh, of the Western civilization. Yes, that's exactly. It was because a, in other cultures, the group, you know, the group does they, not they stifle. Worked, they worked as an organism, just, just like, exactly. just like, just, just like when we, when we, when we talk about, about ourselves being a part of all of humanity and all of the planet. I mean, if you, if you keep that, when, when you, once you change that perspective, yeah, it, it changes everything. And like you say, like the, the other cultures, um, especially grassroots indigenous cultures. Well, the individual can't survive without the collective exactly. in those societies, but the collective is not our i you know we have this idea that the collective is completely stifling because our own collectives are stifling in this culture so you know it's you know people invoke community and they try to reestablish community it's really hard to do when you come from a position of atomized individualities that are not themselves maturely developed because they themselves are split within they're dissociated within. So, you know, as long as people are dissociated within, it's really difficult to associate with, with other people as a group. Well, and, and of course, you know, with, with um, internet and social media, it, that just, you know, makes it worse. Well, it facilitates a certain kind of communication that feels safe to people who are so bloody insecure. I mean, we are in a very insecure, you know, 
non-culture. It's no longer a culture now. Like when I when I when I hear about the like those those indigenous cultures where you know where they would spend nights around the the fire, you know, telling stories and dancing and singing and all that. I mean, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of humanity I'd like to get back to. But I mean, well, you know, we, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's almost, it seems as though there's, there's a schism happening. It's like where there's, where there's certain percentage of people who are like embracing all this new tech stuff and they, and they really, they're really into the whole, you know, all the virtual reality and all the new things that are coming or whatever. And then there's another group who are just basically saying, you know what, yeah, enough is enough. I don't want to go down that road. I want to return to, to nature and, and stuff. And I, and yeah, I'm curious is, to see how, I'm sure curious to see how this is going to transpire in the coming years, because it's you know, the whole they're, they're, bifurcation. There's a huge bifurcation in, in humankind, you know, mm -hmm. those who want real reality and those who want virtual reality, yeah, those, yeah. you know, those who want to escape and um, escape reality because it has been made too distasteful or oppressive or whatever it is for them. And you know, I can understand them. Uh, you know, if they're given they're given a way out with virtual reality, you know, it makes absolute sense for them to want to go that way. You know, it's it's not for us to judge them, but then for those of us who have a sense of reality and a sense of the fact that we are here as humans to do stuff in a you know the right way. Um, then, well, okay, we've got a whole different exciting prospect ahead of us. Rediscovering. I mean, we're never going to go back to what those ancient traditions were. It's never going to be the same. We cannot recreate what has been destroyed. Mm. But new forms, new variations of what it is to be human are going to are going to to emerge in 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 different ways i don't know how but it's going to come back in different ways it has to be different because it also has to take on board the fact that we will have alchemized several millennia of victimization disempowerment and enslavement so that experience is going to be built into whatever new forms we shall be creating The universe is waiting to see how we're going to do it. Yeah. It's exciting times, Anna. On that note, we could end it here, I suppose. Um, this has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. Um, I'm just so honored to have you on my first podcast. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a total pleasure. Hopefully we can all collectively build this newer better world upon the spirit of the natural human mystic because i think that's to me i mean it just resonates so well with me and i think it's it's the way to go man it's just um it's just it's wonderful and i'm just i'm just so happy to have uh, been able to spend some more time with you again great well i'm very proud to have been your first guest and uh <laughs> you know we can we can do repeat chit chats sure i would yeah, I, I would love for you to come back and we could, we could talk about aliens. I want to talk about aliens. <laughs> I'm not a special. I'm not. I'm no specialist in 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 aliens. You know. No, I know. I, I, I know. But you 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 meant yeah. 
you know, without going into into detail, you do mention something about aliens in your book. I won't. Uh, I'll leave that to the. Uh, I'll leave that as a mystery, so that people can <laughs> people can go and pick up the book and check it out. Krivda, the God Tricks Against the Matrix, awesome, and the follow up, Brody Blue, a handbook of ruthless gentleness. I love that term for the natural human mystic. Anna, thanks again. We'll Thank talk you. Again. Thank we'll talk you. Again That's soon. great.